0: How you guys doing tonight? You sounded great, by the way. Sometimes I like to just like you know, just close my eyes and stop singing and just kinda of turn my ear to the side a little bit and just kind of catch on to what's going on with the people around me. You guys are awesome. Give yourselves a hand. <clears throat> Judges. If you're new with us, we're in a, a series called Judges where we're going through uh, about six different narratives through the book of Judges in the Bible, in case you're unfamiliar with it. And uh, in this time, we've got, a, we've got a time of fear. We've got a time of, of people wandering the streets, wandering the, 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 the pathways through the mountains and, and leaving the villages and escaping the security of community and escaping what was called normal life because of their oppressors. And in Judges chapter uh, 5, verses 6 and 7, it says, In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, and in the days of Jael, people avoided the main roads, and travelers stayed on winding paths. There were few people left in the villages of Israel until Deborah arose as a mother for Israel. And we started that narrative last week with Deborah and this, this amazing woman of God, book of judges we've got all these amazing wonderful things to be afraid of these amazing stories these very fitting halloween kind of stories you know a few weeks ago we had ehud the left-handed assassin who comes to eglon and he he sinks his foot-long dagger into eglon's belly so far that the egg the fat of eglon rolls over the handle and he can't even pull it out you know yeah, good stuff. And then last week, you know, Pastor Mark begins this narrative of, of Deborah, where Deborah says, Barak, it's time to man up, it's time to face the armies of Sisera and the, and the Canaanites, and you're going to go up against their 900 chariots with, you know, as Pastor Mark shared with us in the, in the original Hebrew, it says the, the spinny knife thingies, right? Coming out of the hubs, you know, he told me that was, in, that was the original Hebrew. The spinny knife thingies. These, these swords, these scythes that were sticking out of the side of these iron chariots, 900 of them, that were designed to mow down people, that were designed, you ever seen like those old school lawnmowers where you got to push them and they got all those spinny blades and you can like see it? Like that is what their intent was. I don't know if they had those back then. Somebody was like, hey, we can cut down human beings with that too. That's great. But it, chopping people off at the knees, horrible, horrible, brutal things. These Canaanites, this is one of the things that they were known for cruelty in war. In Judges chapter 1, verse 16, we get this little picture in one of the, a little snapshot of one of the the Canaanite kings, Adonai Bezek. And he was a man who, when he conquered you, he would take your king and he would cut off his thumbs, he would cut off his big toes, and he would put your king under his dining room table like a dog and throw him scraps. This is who we're talking about, okay? And sometimes, these are the kinds of people, and sometimes when we read these stories and and tens tens of thousands of people are, are being slain, hundreds of thousands of people are dying, left and right, entire, not races, but entire tribes of people who have exemplified these kinds of cultural norms are being destroyed and we go God God you're supposed to be the merciful God God you're supposed to be the gracious the compassionate God God you are the loving God you're the one who who gives mercy to thousands and you're willing to forgive and God says I am absolutely and I am the God of wrath and of justice and of righteousness and I am a holy God and these things I can't allow them to exist amazing, amazing stories. Stories of God's judgment and also stories of God's provision. And throughout the story of God, there's always these kind of questions that come up for us. Chosen people. Does God play favorites? Is God looking for a club? Is God, you know, he he wants the the frozen chosen, (laughs) you know, as we call the people that, you know, that love God but just stay within the walls of their own church and their own security, their own comfort zone? Is that what God really wants? Who is this God, this merciful, this gracious, this wonderful God who desires to go outside of the walls of E3, to go outside of the walls of our homes and into our neighborhoods and into our workplaces and into French town and into anywhere to the uttermost parts of the earth is the Great Commission. Who is this God who seeks us, who desires us? He's the God who in the book of Jonah had Jonah, go to the Assyrians, another group of people who are famously known for their cruelty in war. They'd conquer you, and if you submitted to them, then they would just, well, we'll just break up your culture and send you all over the world. But if you fought them, then what they would do is they would plant their spears in the ground after they defeated you, and they would let gravity do its work as they placed you on top of it and begin to stack human beings on their spears. And God says, these people, I want them. I made them. I crafted them. I formed them in their mother's womb. I desire relationship with them. And so he sends Jonah to them. He says, Jonah, there's 120,000 souls. There's 120,000 people that I want you to go to and tell them about me. And Jonah says, not a chance, God. <laughs> I'm not doing that. Swallowed by the whale of self-righteousness. Jonah runs from God and runs from the calling on his life and says, those people, they deserve to die. And much like our graphic, you see the the beautiful woman here with this gorgeous eye and right in the center of that eye, if you look closely, you're going to see a gavel, a judge. Am I the judge? Is God the judge? Am I in submission to him or is the rest of the world in submission to me? That's a question that we have to ask. And we truly know that God is a God who shows no partiality. He goes so far in Jeremiah to say, to Jeremiah, says, I, regardless of what my plan is and what, I have, what I've warned people, I am always willing to allow a people to repent, to allow people to come to me, allow people to be drawn to me. In translation that I use, the New King James Version, it says, the instant I love that. The instant that they turn back, I will receive them. The instant that they confess their sin, that they repent, the instant that they turn to me, I am there as their loving, compassionate, gracious God with open arms, ready to receive them. God is not a God of partiality. So here in our story with Judges, remember last week we, we had Barack and Deborah And Barak says, no, I'm not going out, even though you have a word from the Lord, I am not going out to battle against Sisera and these thousands of men and these 900 chariots. I'm not going into war unless, Deborah, you go with me, you know? And so Deborah says, fine, no big deal. I've got the word of the Lord. I know that this is what he wants us to do. And so they go out to battle. The Lord wages this amazing battle. You get a little bit of backstory uh, from that in, in Judges chapter 5. These amazing things where, where God makes the mountains tremble and he makes the, the, the rain and the hail fall and the river Kishon overflows and begins to just make this, this valley into a mire and totally disables these 900 chariots so they can no longer mow down the Israeli army. And as they go into battle there, the Israelites are just all excited and they're going, wow, look at this, God is totally on our side. And they wipe out the Canaanites. They wipe out every single one of them. But one man, the leader of the army, Sisera. And we pick up in Judges chapter 4, in verse 17. Meanwhile, Sisera ran to the tent of Jael the wife of Heber the Kenite, because Heber's family was on friendly terms with, the king, with King Jabin of Hazor. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, come into my tent, sir, come in, don't be afraid. So he went into her tent and she covered him up with a blanket. Okay, so this is what happens. Sisera sees that the battle is going south, that his men are getting wiped out, that his chariots have been incapacitated. He said, it is time for me to take a leave of absence. I'm out of here. I'm going on vacation. He runs away from the battle. And Deborah uh, and Jael, who is a Kenite, uh, kind of a friendly tribe, kind of a neutral tribe in many senses to many of the surrounding tribes, they're right there camped in between the Canaanites and the Israelites, And Sisera sees the opportunity to go to neutral territory, to find a a haven of safety, to find a sanctuary. And he goes and he runs to the camp of the Kenites. And Jael sees him, and you can't miss this. You've got to understand what's happening here. Here is this woman seeing the leader of the army, the commander of the army, and what does she do? Jael went out to meet Sisera. This is an amazing step of faith. Okay, This is a faith that, that is scary. This is, a, this, is a faith that, that, this is a faith that faces our fears. How would you characterize your faith? Is your faith something that, that when an obstacle comes, when, it, when, when an opportunity for disaster strikes, when you see the 900 chariots with the spinny knifey things, when you see the enemy rising up against you, when you, when you don't have money to pay the bills, when, you, when, the, when the boyfriend or the girlfriend says, you know, hey, this just isn't working, when, when the wife or the husband says, hey, I just don't love you anymore, when a, when a child has a terminal disease, what is it that you do? How is it that you react to this in the light of that fear? And this is the real life situation this isn't just a a biblical story this is this is a real woman at a real place at a real time facing a real warrior a real man says that she went out to face the fear she stood in that situation and she looked at it and said all right i can be neutral but i believe that maybe there's something else that god has called me to do let's see what it is verse 19 Cicera says, please give me some water, I'm thirsty. So she gave him some milk from a leather bag and covered it. That just sounds delicious. And covered him again. Stand at the door of the tent, he told her. If anybody comes and asks you if there's anyone here, say no. But when Cicera fell asleep from exhaustion, Jael quietly crept up to him with a hammer and a tent peg in her hand. Then she drove the tent peg through his temple and into the ground, and so he died. When Barak came looking for Sisera, Jael went out to meet him. And she said, Come and I will show you the man you are looking for. So he followed her into the tent and found Sisera lying there dead with a tent peg through his temple. So on that day, Israel saw God defeat Jabin the Canaanite. And from that time on, Israel became stronger and stronger against King Jabin until they finally destroyed him. Jael grabbed what she was used to she took what was in her hand in those days the women were the ones who set up the tents this was old hat to her she invites a man in and she takes the opportunity and she takes the spike knowing that in the first hit she has to get it through a skull That just ain't gonna cut it, right? <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, even if you get the ear hole and you already got the start, you know, I mean, it's just it's not, you know, and Sisera ends up, you know, kind of like this at the end. You know that that in that first swing, she has to make sure, all right, I got some sweaty palms. This is, man, this is this is scaring me. I don't know. What the heck are you doing, JL? What are you doing? You know she has to grip that hammer and you know she has to she takes that spike in her left hand and you know she she puts I'm putting a spike up to a man's ear. What I've never done this before. This is new. And in one fell swoop, she drives it home. And she follows through and she pounds and she finishes them off. And she does the work that God had called her to do. Have any um do you have any volunteers to play the role of Sisera? Anybody? Any 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 men out there really brave? Hard headed men. I know some of the wives will raise their hands, right? Do you have any brave women? Do have any fearless women? Women that want to swing a hammer. Come on up. Come on. Leanne? Right? Yeah? Elizabeth? Come on. Come on. Who else? I need one more. Come on, Lindsay. Come on, Lindsay. All right, here's your spike. Thank you. There's your hammer. spike, here's your hammer. That's a four-pound sledge, baby. <laughs> so, so, JL, she, she lines up, she takes the spike in her left hand, or, you know, if you're, if you're left-handed, then go ahead, go righty on it. Is this okay? She holds it up to his, to his ear. Yeah, there you go. Lay it down, Lindsay. All right. It's going to be a race. And she raises it with a good grip. People in the front row, watch for flying hammers. Haven't had any yet. We want to end the day well. And she drives. Go, 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 go. All the way through. I want it firm. I want it stuck into the wood. Go, Leanne. Man. All right? All right. Can you just hear the bone crunching right now? Give him a hand, give him a hand. All right, good job. You guys are done. You're welcome to take your spaghetti squash if you want. (laughs) Yeah, you just leave it there, it's fine. And so she takes it and she does the work that when she woke up that morning, I'm sure it never entered her mind. Today... I've got a new adventure. Today, I'm going to impale a man's head with one of my tent pegs. And really what we have here, we have we have this, this amazing story. And to be quite honest, this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. <laughs> so much so that, guess what? Dan Meyer has a daughter named... JL yes that's right I love this story and I remember years ago even before I was before I had children and and before I was even married I remember reading this story and going someday someday if God gives me a daughter her name is going to be JL why Because the culture of the Canaanites was one of sexual immorality and and selfish greed and materialism and cruelty and war. They were, they had gods like Baal and, and Ashtoreth and Molech. And what they would do is they would go to these Asher poles, you know, biblical times stripper poles. And they would go and they would have sex with the, with the temple prostitutes. And then the, the, the women would get pregnant, and then they'd, they'd have these unwanted children, and so they would fill up Molech's belly with a big heaping fiery coals, and his arms would be outstretched, and they would heat it up until his arms were glowing red, and they would lay these children on his arms and kill them and sacrifice them. A culture that used women as an orifice, a culture that used women as, as workhorses and as a slave. And I said, in that culture, it was very important for a woman to know who she was in the eyes of God. And in my culture, we have an industry called pornography that makes billions of dollars a year. That objectifies women. And in these days, just as in our days, guess what happened? The women were being used... The women were being used also by God to stand up and to face these atrocities. And where were the men? Men, we gotta, we got to take notice. Men, we gotta, we got to identify the responsibility that God's given us because this has nothing to do with capability, okay? This has nothing to do with favoritism. This has nothing to do with being sexist. This is God used who was available, who stepped out in faith and said, I will be God's person. I will be the hands and feet that are going to be used by God. I will be an instrument of God. I will exercise my faith. And men, we must be the protectors of these ladies. It is wrong for us in the eyes of God to look around this room, to wander out into society, and to look at women and objectify them and use them as orifices for our own pleasure. It is a sin against God Most High for us to belittle them and for us to show partiality in any way, shape, or form to any of God's creation. This is a serious thing. And this is something that God repeatedly says over and over and over again in his word. And so I named my daughter, my baby girl, my JL. Because I said, JL, when she was born, I said, you're going to need every ounce of strength and every ounce of courage and every ounce of faith that God's going to give you to face this world that wants to eat you alive and wants to destroy you. And God's going to be right beside you. But I'm going to give you a good namesake. But I don't leave these things laying around the house. I mean, (laughs) uh, Elijah's head is about that same size. And I keep those out in the workshop. So here, Sisera is dead. And if you jump to to chapter 5 in Judges, in verse 24, it says, This amazing line, most blessed among women is J.L. I just, I love that. I'm going to show her that as soon as she can read. I've already read it to her a number of times, but she doesn't really get it yet. The wife of Heber the Kenite, may she be blessed above all women who live in tents. Sisera asked for water, and she gave him milk. In a bowl fit for nobles, she brought him yogurt. Then with her left hand she reached for a tent peg, and with her right hand for the workman's hammer. She struck Cicero with the hammer, crushing his head. With a shattering blow, she pierced his temples. He sank, he fell. He lay still at her feet. And where he sank, there he died. From the window, Cicero's mother looked out. Through the window, she watched for his return, saying, Why is this chariot so long in coming? Why don't we hear the sound of chariot wheels? Her wise women answer, and she repeats these words to herself, They must be dividing the captured plunder with a woman or two for every man. Yippee! There will be colorful robes for Sisera and colorful embroidered robes for me. Yes, the plunder will include colorful robes embroidered on both sides. Lord, may all your enemies die like Sisera, but may those who love you rise like the sun in all its power. Then there was peace in the land for 40 years. Get a little insight into the culture here. Cicero's mother, she's she's there looking out the window, pining for her son, and where is he? He's been gone a long time. I hope things are going well. And so the wise women, right? They they chime in. Oh, they're just they've conquered so many people, they've killed so many people, there's there's so much loot. <laughs> they're just They're just divvying it up and gathering it together. And, you know, uh, there's all these women just kind of wandering around. And so they're just partaking, probably a woman or two for each of them. And they're just having a great big party. Don't worry about it. They're just having fun. They'll be back home soon. And what will they be doing? They'll be bearing gifts for us. Linen, clothing embroidered on both sides. Ooh. And we get this insight into this materialistic perversion where an embroidered cloth is more important than the life of a human being. Where the quest for sexual pleasure has gone so far as to be acceptable that, hey, it's okay just to rape and pillage. It's quite alright with us. The Canaanites, these are the people that created the slogan, just do it. They had the mentality, hey, We can do whatever we want. We can do whatever is right in our own eyes. The gavel, it's right here. I'm the judge. I am just. I create my own righteousness. I'm okay. You're okay. There's another side to it there's peace in the land for 40 years. This is a cycle, this generational cycle. We saw it in Ehud. There was peace in the land for 80 years. Here there's peace in the land for 40 years. We're going to see these numbers start popping up. And a biblical generation is 40 years. We saw it back in the the Exodus. We saw what happened. The children of Israel, they wandered in the desert for 40 years. Why? Because all of those people had hard hearts. All of those people, they held the hammer in their hand. God had equipped them and empowered them. And they refused to strike and to go into the promised land. And so when that generation died their children said, hey, we'll go. <laughs> sure, this old desert thing. It's getting old. We'll go into the promised land. And so Joshua victoriously begins to lead them in. Forty years. And again, it's a reminder for us as men and women of God that we must communicate this lifestyle This encounter, this relationship with Jesus Christ, we must communicate it to our children. We must live it before them. We can't just teach them, give them a knowledge, give them some Bible verses to spout back at us. We must live it before them. We must come before them and and be the example that Christ was for us. We have to do this. We have to live this. On your card, we've got how to drive a nail. How to drive a nail. And so the first thing you do, you, you, see, you see the objective, you know what it is that you're going to do, and so you have to take the right posture. You saw the women, you know, they lined up and you get the, the stance going on and all right, we're ready. We, we're leveraged. We're, we're in position. And the posture that we have to take as, as followers of Christ, as men and women who desire to do God's will, the posture that we have to take is a stance of humble boldness, Stance of humble boldness. This is one of those things that a lot of times doesn't make sense to us because we think of humble and we think of a rug. We think of humble. I'm supposed to be humble and we think of, oh, okay, you know, you, just, you do what you want to do and, and it's okay. And hey, I'll go eat there. And yeah, sure, we'll watch that movie. And whatever you want to do is fine. And humility is something that we actually despise a lot of times in our mind because we look at it as an attribute of people who are spineless. And God says, humility comes through the strength of knowing that God is the one who is in control. That God is the one that you are submitting yourself to. That God is the one that you are pleasing and not man. And so we have to have this attitude of humble boldness. Boldness, we like that. Hey, boldness, confidence, self-esteem. We love these words. Yes, this is what we need. We need more self-esteem. No, no we don't. We need more humble boldness. In Hebrews chapter Chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, talks about this this humble boldness by which we come to the throne of God, that we boldly approach the throne of grace. And what that does is what we do is we look at God and we go, all right, humility is me seeing who I am in light of who he is. It isn't a comparison to the person sitting next to me. It isn't the person that I was partying with last night and, well, at least I didn't do that. No, that's not it. Humility is me and God face-to-face and going, all right, how do I line up with him? And then once I realize the greatness of his sacrifice, how he used nails struck through the, the, the wrists and the feet of our Savior to bring us to this throne of grace, that's how great his love was. That we realize, all right, I no longer have I no longer have to worry about this God of wrath and this God of justice and this God of judgment. I don't have to fear this God of righteousness because now I come boldly to the throne of grace. He has provided a way for me to live an abundant life, a way for me to be cleansed from all of my sin. So we come to him with a posture of humble boldness. The grip the grip we has we have to increase our faith in Jesus Christ. I don't know if you ever grabbed, you know, a tennis racket or or a hammer or maybe even a fishing pole, you know. And you just kind of grab it, and there it is, and you go, Woo! <laughs> you know, and it just flies out of your hand, and all of a sudden you're whoa, wait a second, you know, and disaster strikes somewhere. You hit someone, you know, you break something. We, you have to have a firm grip. And our grip is in our faith in Jesus Christ. It's not just a faith. It's not just, you know, oh yeah, I believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. It's not just word. It's not just token words. This is something biblical faith, biblical believing is, is trusting in and relying upon and clinging to. Like you were in a giant ocean and all you had was your faith in Jesus Christ. All you had was that life preserver. And you know, I can't tread water long enough on my own. You'd be clinging, right? You'd have a firm grip. You'd have every limb possible wrapped around that thing. You would be secure. In the storms of life, as the waves toss and turn, our faith in Jesus Christ is what's going to help us hold on Focus. Don't give in to distractions and temptations. Probably done this before. You know you line up and you you get your nail and you go to strike and then bam. You miss. And spaghetti squash fly on the floor. You miss and what happens? Ever hit your thumb? Yeah. You get distracted. Oh, hey, what was that? Oh, oh did I catch something over here. Something catches your eye. Something, something tempts you. Something brings you away from what you were supposed to be looking at. And what happens? All of a sudden, boom, focus is gone. Disaster strikes. Focus. Don't give in to distractions and temptations. We've got a couple of verses that go along with that as well. But I missed the ones for the grip Romans 10 9 through, 7, 9 through 17. So it talks about increasing our faith and, and we do that through God's word. We, our, our minds are renewed and transformed. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The more we get into God's word, the more we seek to know him, not know just about him, know him identify his attributes, and encounter him on those levels, then the more we grow and we have a stronger faith. Focus. Don't give in to temptations and distractions. Meditate and use the defenses that God gives you. Ephesians 6 and 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16. Ephesians 6. 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16. And these things talk about meditating and focusing on God and the weapons of our warfare, the spiritual weapons, like prayer, like what Aaron said earlier. The spiritual things that when we come across, you know, when we face fear, we hold up our shield of faith. We hold up the word of God, the sword of the Spirit, and we know it, and we know who God is, and we can stand firm in those things. We keep our focus. Swing. Swing. Here we, we take what is in our hand. We take what's in our hand and, and we exert it with force. What did Jael do? She took what was there. She took what she was used to. She took what she knew how to use, and she used that as an exercise to worship God. So do what you do as worship. Do what you do as worship. There she was. Sisera comes to the tent. She doesn't go, all right, where did I put that dagger? Where's that sword? No, she just simply says, this is what I know how to do. This is, how I, this is what I can do in this situation. This is how I'm going to glorify God. And so she began to exercise what she was good at in that moment. That's what you and I must do. And oftentimes we, we elevate spiritual gifts and we elevate ministries and we elevate other things and we belittle the gift that God has given us. God has given each and every one of us in this room a gift. He has given each human being a gift freely. He's poured it out. Do what you do to worship God. It's a swing. Follow through, the last one. Count the cost and don't stop seeking. Sustainable pace and diligence. Hebrews 11.6. Hebrews 11.6. This talks about seeking God diligently. I've got an uncle, and he, uh, he's he been a contractor for, for over 30 years, excellent at, bu- at building homes and everything. Well, a couple years ago, um, he, he was going to drive a nail. And as he, as he lined up, he saw what he needed to hit and he swung and he leaned in and it bounced right off and the backside of it just caught him right in the forehead, you know. And this 260 pound man with over 30 years of experience swinging a hammer went down and cried like a little girl. <laughs> You've got to follow through. He found out what eighth grade science taught us. There is an equal and opposite reaction, okay? Guess what? It's either going down or it's coming back. You don't want it to come back, (laughs) okay? I think he still has a scar. Follow through. And so as we go in and we move in our relationship with God, as we as we learn how to take the posture of humble boldness, as we learn how to, to grip in our faith and, and increase that grip and increase the strength, as we focus on what God has called us to do and who he has called us to be and doing what it is that we can do in worship to him, exercising that swing and following through and just keeping at it and just doing it and just keep doing it and just keep doing it and diligently seeking God. Not to know more, not in this quest for knowledge, the quest to know, to experience who God is. That our God is the God of a compassionate God, a gracious God, a God who seeks. Because when that happens, then we get off our butts and we go outside of these four walls we get outside of our homes and we go to our neighbors. We get outside of the, our cubicles and we go to our coworkers. and we get outside of, out of our comfort zone and we go into, into French town and on and on into the uttermost parts of the earth because we have to follow the call of God to seek because He is a seeking God. I'm going to close with some verses in Colossians chapter 3. In verse 5 through 10, it says, So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. Amazing verses. But it requires action on our part. Let's pray. Father God, we just come before You and ask You to do the work of Your Holy Spirit. Lord, to convict us to speak your words of life, your words of wisdom into our ears. Lord, that you draw us by your grace and by your compassion. Lord, that you draw us by your kindness. And you tell us in your word that your kindness leads us to this thing called repentance. It, It leads us to a turning away of the former things, of the carnal things, of the natural things. And it requires us to come boldly to you. Lord, we thank you that you do speak to us. Thank you that you don't leave us orphans. Thank you that you are Emmanuel, God with us. And Lord, as we lift our hearts and our minds to you, as we lift our voices in worship, Lord, do the work that you do. Help us to submit ourselves to you, to take the gavel out of our own eye and to again put you on the throne as righteous, holy, pure, compassionate, loving, gracious, merciful God, and that we might live that before all people that you bring us into contact with. In Jesus' name.